0: Good morning. Let me greet you all in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. It is a joy indeed to come together, um, to worship the Lord together, and to hear him speaking to us from his word. Um, let me take this time before we go into the word of God. I see a lady next to uh, Ria. <laughs> What's your name? (laughs) Joy. 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 Welcome, Joy. Um, We are joyful to to be with you and uh, um, get to know her after church (laughs) over tea and coffee. Um, What we have been doing um, this January is going through... The attributes of God through um, uh, so we, we we're looking at the attributes of God and um, um, the series. The name of the series is Knowing God, um, and and it's it's a. I think this is the most important thing that a Christian um, could occupy himself or herself with, uh, knowing God. Um, in Isaiah chapter nine. God says to the children of Israel they were boasting about a lot of things um, and as 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 war is coming towards them and they are boasting about what they have, boasting about their might and stuff like that, God rebukes them and, and reminds them what is most important, what is the, the most important thing to to boast about uh, listen to what, what what God says to them through Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter nine verse twenty two and verse 23. He says, Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches. Do you hear what God is saying? That we should not boast in in, in wisdom, we should not boast in, 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 in riches, we should not boast in our own strength. But this is what the Lord says: But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands. And knows me. Do you see how the knowledge of God is important? That the most important thing about your Christian life is that you are acquainted with God. As those uh, 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 wise words from A.W. Toza, dear Christian, acquaint yourself with thy God. And to do that uh, 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 well, I believe that we need to go into the scriptures and find out what the Bible says about who God is. Last week we saw the sovereignty of God. We saw that God is sovereign. He's in control. He, He reigns. This week I want us to focus on the holiness of God. I think I might be ambitious to even try to to explain the, the the holiness of god because this is an attribute that that reminds us of 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 our 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 humanity uh, of of the fact that we are sinners and 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 so but but we need to to come to a point where we really understand the fact that god is holy right so what we're going to do, we're going to look at, we're not going to focus this on one particular text. We're going to look at um, different texts in the Bible as we, we, we look at the holiness of God. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to give you uh, 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 three 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 questions um, as we interrogate um, the, the question of the holiness of God. First of all, we're going to answer what the holiness of God is. Secondly, we, we, we're going to... Um, to see how uh, the holiness of God is manifested, and thirdly, we're going to see the holy, uh, holiness of God in relation with His children. Let us pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, as we come to you today, we are reminded, O oh Lord, that we are not holy. That our holiness is derived from you. And, As we occupy ourselves with the subject of your holiness, oh Father, teach us to be humble. Teach us to stand in awe of you. Teach us to love and honor you with our lives, with everything that is in us. In the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Now the question, the first question, as I said, what is the holiness of God? What do we mean? by the holiness of God. You see, to be holy means to be distinct. It means to separate or to, to, to be in a class by oneself. I love how R.C. Sprawl puts it. He says that the primary meaning of holy is separate. It, it comes from the ancient word that meant to cut or to separate. Perhaps even, even more accurate would be the phrase to cut above Something. When we find a garment or a piece of merchandise that is outstanding, that is that has a superior excellence, we use the expression that it is cut above the rest. This means that um, one who is holy is uniquely holy, with no rivals or competition. In other words, when we, when we speak about God being holy, we speak about Him being superior in His moral excellence. We, we speak about Him being cut above the rest. When the Bible calls God holy, it, it, it means primarily that God is transcendently separate. He is so far above and beyond us that he, he seems almost totally foreign to us. To be holy is to be other. It is to be different in a special way. This is how the scripture puts it. Look at Exodus chapter 15 verse 11. Remember after... God delivered the children of Israel and they sing this song in in, in response to that deliverance when he opened the Red Sea. And in, in verse 11 of this song, this is what they say. They say, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? They they, they see the Lord as being incomparable, that we we cannot compare the Lord with anything. In fact, think about this, your idea of holiness, the, 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 the ideas of holiness that come to mind are far below the true description of the holiness of God. He cannot be compared. He is majestic in holiness. Remember the song of Hannah as well. Hannah, after praying to the Lord for, for a son, and the Lord blesses her, she bows before the Lord, and in verse 2 of 1 Samuel chapter 2, this is what she says. She says, there is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. What is common in these two verses is the emphasis of the fact that God is incomparable. That the holiness of God cannot be compared to anyone. It is a holiness that is in a class of its own. But not only that, the, the holiness, um, the, this attribute holiness is the attributes. of is the attribute of attributes. I'll show you what I mean. It is not just another one of God's attributes as, as we speak about the attributes of God. I like how, how Stephen Chanock, uh explains this. He says, As sincerity is the radiance of every grace in a Christian, so holiness is the splendor of every attribute. In, in other words, the, the holiness of God. Is an attribute that adorns all other attributes. It is the beauty, to put it another way, of the attributes of God. Edward Lay argues that if holiness is not the beauty of God's attributes, his wisdom would be but obscurity. His justice would be cruelty. His sovereignty would be tyranny. And his mercy will be foolish pity. But the holiness of God is in everything that he does. It adorns everything that he does. You see, everything God thinks, everything God desires, everything God speaks and does is utterly holy in every way. It is the attribute of attributes. It is the crown of every attribute. When we speak about the sovereignty of God, we speak about a holy sovereignty. When we speak about the power of God, we speak about a holy power. When we speak about the wrath of God, it is a holy wrath. But not only that, not only is it the attributes of attributes, but holiness is an attribute that originates from God. And I want you to understand this. It originates from God. It is not derived holiness, but it is intrinsic holiness. Right? Let me explain it this way. When people uh, see our son, Loazi, <coughs> the next thing that they do is try to figure out who he looks like. Right? There is one group that I think is very mistaken. This group says he looks like my wife. And we all know that they are all mistaken, right? But there is this other group which I think uh, they have their wits about them. They say he looks like his father. But even if we engage in this debate of who he looks like all day long, what we understand is that his looks have been woven by God by using two people, right? They are derived from, from these two people. They are, his looks are not original of himself. There's a semblance, there's a resemblance from where he comes from. There's a, we can see that there's a generation that he follows, But not so with God. Right? Not so with God. His holiness is not derived from something. His holiness is original of himself. It is intrinsic holiness. It originates with God. I love how the angels express it in in, in, in Revelation 15 verse 4. As they sing out to God, they say, You alone are holy. You'll notice that in the Bible, especially in in Isaiah, I think it is 24 times, where Isaiah refers to God as the, the Holy One of Israel. When the Bible says God is the Holy One of Israel, it doesn't mean that he took his holiness by identifying with Israel. But it is the other way around. He is holy in himself, and has identified with Israel, the holiness of Israel as a holy nation, as the royal priesthood, is derived from God. Does that make sense? In other words, there cannot be holiness outside of God. Holiness finds its true meaning in God. I hope you understand that carefully. We, we, we are not holy in and of ourselves. But our holiness, though not as perfectly as that of God, it comes from God because God bestowed it on us. One example is that of Moses, right? Is Moses coming down from Mount Sinai after spending time with God for 40 days. And as he comes down after receiving two tablets containing the law of God, the Bible says in Exodus chapter 34, verse 29, his face shone because he had been talking to God. They they couldn't stand him, right? Because his face had a radiance as a result of coming into contact with God. It was derived it was not original of moses moses was not born with a radiant face thomas watson speaks of god as holy in four ways i found this very helpful he says god is intrinsically holy he is primarily holy He's efficiently holy. He's transcendently holy. When he says he is intrinsically holy, he says he is holy in his nature. When he says he is primarily holy, he is say, he, he's saying that God is the pattern of holiness. When he says God is efficiently holy, what he's saying is that he is the cause of all holiness in others, including Christ's human nature. When he says God is... Is, is transcendently holy. He's saying that God is above, far above the capacity of angels and, 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 and glorified saints to behold. I think this was la- last one needs to be explained even further. Right? Remember when Isaiah went into the temple after the king dies, right? After King Uzziah dies, Isaiah chapter 6. As he comes into the temple of the lord he beholds the lord high and lifted up sitting on his throne with the train of his robe filling the whole temple and and he sees as he beholds the response of the angels he he says the seraphims as he describes them had six wings and and and, and he he tells us about their posture uh, so to say, in the presence of the Lord, he, he tells us what they were that what they were doing, their attitude as they encountered the holiness of God. he says, with two wings they they covered their face, with two wings they covered their feet, and with two wings they flew away. Uh, this is a clear uh, a clear description of the fact that the, the holiness of God, although angels are in some way holy and redeemed uh, uh, saints, uh, uh, glorified saints that are in heaven are in some way holy, but they cannot uh, fully have the capacity to behold the glory of God. They cover their faces. They cover Their feet, they fly away. It's amazing today that there are many people who claim to have seen God with their eyes. And in their claims, one one man was giving a testimony and he says this, he was brushing his teeth in the morning. And the face of Jesus appeared on the mirror. And this is what he said. He said, good morning, Lord. Good morning. Does that even make sense? When people in the Old Testament encountered God, they thought they were going to die. They they did not have holy laughter. They thought they were truly going to die. They had to be assured by God saying, fear not. Because they knew they were encountering the holy. When the priests were were, were going into the holy of holies on the day of of Yom Kippur, the the day of the atonement, there was such a, a fear in Israel concerning this very priest when the priest had to had to cleanse himself before he went into the temple and as he went into the temple he was not even sure if he would even, even come out and you see god and the next thing is love And the next thing is say, Good morning, Holy Spirit, or Good morning, Jesus. You see, Jesus Christ is a friend of sinners. But we are not to take it lightly that He is Lord. We are never to take it lightly that He is the Holy One of God. Even the demons, when when they saw Him, remember those testimonies of demons. They, they would look at him in fear, in, in trembling, and they would say, you are the Holy One of God. When we understand the holiness of God in this way, that it is intrinsic, it is primary, it is efficient, and it is transcendent, This reminds us that God is not a figment of our own imagination. He is the only living God. Psychology believes that that God is a creation of humanity that desires to put their hope in something. The 19th century leading German psychologist Friedrich Nietzsche says that God is the mistake of human invention. But whenever you read these things, you you come to a clear understanding and you see that this is a clear indication that anyone who believes this foolishness, anyone who believes this nonsense, does not know about the God of the Bible. The holiness of God is a clear indication that God cannot be an invention of the human mind. If humanity is to create a God in their own imagination, the most likely result is that that little God will reflect the debased desires of of those people. If you look at the gods of Greek mythology, you clearly see that they were created to communicate and sanction the debauchery of their culture. These gods encouraged sexual immorality. They encouraged murder. They encouraged dishonesty, licentiousness, and all kinds of wickedness. Herman Klein uh, Necht observes observes that the gods of of, of the Greeks, um, he, he, he observes them, and he makes this comment. He says this. He says, the Greek polyistic gods manifest no trace of moral seriousness or of what is for us the characteristic, the characteristic, the characteristic trait of holiness. Making the same argument, A.W. Tozer says this. He says the character attributes attributed to the gods of the ancients and of modern heathendom is the very reverse of that immaculate purity which pertains to the true God. They, they are nowhere near comparison with God. Uh, in clear contrast with, with these false gods, the God of the Bible manifests His holiness in His interaction with humanity. While the gods of the culture promote the sinfulness of humanity, the character of, God, of the God of the Bible rebukes sinfulness. In Hosea chapter 11, verse 9, God says this. He says, I am God and not man. The Holy One in your midst. The Holy One in your midst. So, so we see what the holiness of God is. Or what we mean by the holiness of God. And the second question I'd like to answer for you and for us this morning is how is the holiness of God made manifest? How is the holiness of God made manifest? For the sake of time, I'll just give you two Two ways it is manifested. First of all, it is manifested in his commands. The the, the commands of God bear the character of God. They they testify of the fact that God is holy. The commands of God are God's holy command. And, And this is The first revelation of the character of God in his interaction with humanity. What did he do when he meets Adam? He tells him about his his freedom to eat of any tree in the garden, right? But one tree of the knowledge of good and evil he shall not eat, because in the day that he eats, he will surely die. Paul recognizes this fact in the midst of his struggle with sin. He says in Romans chapter 7 verse 12, so the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. It is holy. We cannot blame the word of God for making us sin. What the word of God actually does, it highlights our sin. It shows us how much of sin as we are. The psalmist reminds us, in Psalm 19, verse 8 and 9, he says, the precepts of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart, the commandment of the Lord is pure. Enlightened in the eyes, the fear of the Lord is clean enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. In in, in summary, the word of the Lord is holy. It is holy. It is holy. It reveals the holy character of God. Not only that, but most importantly, the the holiness of God is ultimately displayed on the cross. On the cross, the, the supreme demonstration of the holiness of we see the supreme demonstration of the holiness of God. Nothing speaks clearly of God's hatred of sin as the floodgates of wrath are poured out on His Son. We see what God thinks about sin as he punishes sin in his son. You see, God is not like some... It's not like, like me in a way. Sometimes when I'm tired and I have to do something in the house and I have to clean, I would cut corners. Right? I would cut corners. I know that when there's an object that is seated there, I don't have to pick it up. I just have to clean around it and leave whatever is under it. But God doesn't do that. God is not like some cleaner who cuts corners. He is altogether holy. He does not, he does not smile at sin. I don't know any way how to to put it, but he does not smile at sin. I like how Habakkuk says it as he he talks about God. Let's let's go there with Habakkuk chapter 1. Chapter 1 verse 13. Listen to what he says about God. He says, you are of purer eyes than to see evil and you cannot look at wrong. So in the cross, we see God's view of sin, that he hates it with a perfect hatred. He hates it with a holy hatred. Think about Psalm 22, verse 1 to 3. This passage shows us how the holiness of God is the motivation of his justice. Right? Although justice demands that 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 sin be punished his holiness calls for it to be done his holiness sanctions it it demands it as well in, in in psalm 22 verse 1 to 3 the psalmist says in the voice of david but speaking of christ My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the waste of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Listen to verse 3. Yet you are holy. When the justice of God is expressed, It is expressed as the result of the holiness of God calling for it. Tim Chalice writes that the cross of Jesus Christ is all about holiness. Uh, And that may seem strange, right? That, That may seem strange, that a place of blood and suffering and torment would be all about holiness. But the cross answers this question. How can a holy God be reconciled to an unholy people? This question demands this one. How can the relationship between a holy God and an unholy people be restored with, without some gross act of injustice? If, if sin is not punished, there would be injustice with God. At the cross, we see just how much God values his holiness. We see that God will not violate his own holiness even in in order to save the one he loves. Here at the cross we see the wrath of God meeting the mercy of God. This is where wrath and mercy meet. We, We see both of them in their glorious fullness. None is compromised. The the ultimate display of God's wrath and the ultimate display of God's mercy is on the cross. As I always say, if you want to see the wrath of God fully displayed, look at the cross. If you want to see, and I'll change the wording, the holiness of God fully displayed, look at the cross. If you want to see the mercy of God fully displayed, look at the cross. It is on the cross that we see God's hatred of sin. It is on the cross that we see God's love of humanity. It is on the cross we see the vindication of God's holiness. What is the holiness of God? How is the holiness of God manifest? And how is the holiness of God? How does the holiness of God affect His children. We see this as a third point, third question. Theologians, when they theologize, they they categorize the attributes of God into two. They they say there are incommunicable attributes and there are communicable attributes. When we talk about incommunicable attributes, we talk about attributes that humanity is unable to imitate, right? God is not calling us to be all-powerful, right? God is not calling us to be sovereign. God is not calling us to be omnipresent, to be present everywhere at the same time. We are here and we cannot be anywhere else. But holiness is categorized as a communicable attribute. In other words, it means that this is an attribute that we are to imitate in our lives. As God is holy, so children of God are to be holy. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15, Peter says to the believers, As he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Listen to this. In all your conduct. Not in some of your conduct, but in all your conduct. In other words, be holy in your speech, be holy in your actions, be holy in your thoughts, be holy in your desires. Our conduct as children of God must reflect the God who redeemed us. Christians are called to mirror God to the world. And when we do not mirror God to the world, we are saying to the world that God is not holy. I read in in, in, um, The Attributes of God by Stephen Chanock. I'll try to, to, to summarize what he says. He says to misrepresent the holiness of God, to to, to, to misrepresent the holiness of God is, is, is worse than being an atheist. Because when you're an atheist, you are saying there's no God. But when you are misrepresenting the attributes of God, you are saying God is not holy, therefore he's a monster. You are representing God to the world as a monstrosity and not as he is. In, in other words... When we are holy in all our conduct, we become signposts that point to the holy God. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, Jesus says to his, uh, to his disciples, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The, the, the believer's light functions to point God to, to, to point to God who is the giver of light so that the world that is in darkness will come to the true light, who is the giver of life. Our holy conduct is also seen in our response to God's commands. Right? God's commands are what? They are holy commands. And because the commands of God reflect the holy character of God, we understand that they also point us to the way of holiness. In honoring the word of God, we echo the testimony of the psalmist in, in Psalm one, uh, in Psalm nineteen, verse ten and eleven, that the commands of the Lord are more to be desired than gold, even much fine gold; sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. More to be desired are they than uh, I mean. Uh, more, uh, moreover, by them is your servant. One, in keeping them, there is great reward. Our holiness is also displayed lastly in our hatred of sin, in our attitude of sin. You see, when I think about this a lot, I don't know why these days, that when I was not a Christian. I did not know that I was a sinner. But it doesn't mean I was not a sinner. I, I did not struggle with sin because I was a slave of sin. I was following wherever sin caused me to follow. But when I became a Christian, there's a different power at work in the believer. And this different power displays to you your heart and the brilliance and the majesty of Christ. And when you are redeemed, there's a different power at work in you. And this power works against sin. Does that make sense? And this is when your eyes are truly opened. Because now you see that you are a sinner. Not only are you a sinner, but you see that sin is against a holy God. And because you are for a holy God, you must be against sin as he is against sin. The Bible calls us to holiness. We cannot dabble around with sin. We cannot play around with sin. We must kill sin. In conclusion, let me give you this passage. Romans chapter 8. Paul has been speaking about what life in the spirit is like and, and how we have been freed in the spirit. And as a result of being freed, he says in verse, 12, in verse 12 and 13 of Romans chapter 8, So then, brothers, we are debtors and not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the spirit, if, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Do you see that? We are debtors. But we, do not, we are not debtors anymore to sin. We are not debtors anymore to the flesh, to follow after the flesh. We have been free to do what? By the Spirit to kill, to put to death the deeds of the body. One of the indications that you are saved is not the fact that you live a perfect life, is the fact that sin is not master over you, and you seek to put it to death each and every day. Amen. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, you are holy. Our tongues are not even worthy to speak of your holiness. We, 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 we. We cannot even know the depths of your holiness. Even in eternity, Lord, we will still not have the capacity to truly and fully behold your holiness. We thank you, Lord, that a holy God saw it fit to send his holy son to die for an unholy people so that this holy people can be saints in your eyes we thank you for your work in christ for your work of sanctification in our lives in the name of our lord and savior jesus christ we pray this amen